Well, good morning, Union Chapel. How are you guys doing this morning? That's great. That's so good. Well, thank you for being here this morning. It was good to worship with you and all of you who are tuning in online. Welcome. Welcome to Union Chapel. Uh, We are continuing our series on Disciple, this workbook that we've been going through over the last few weeks. We're in chapter 6, and it's all about spending time with God. And I'm so excited because I really believe that this morning as we engage in spending time with our Heavenly Father, it could change everything. It could change everything about this community. It could change everything about your life, about your family, about your neighborhood. Spending time with Jesus is the most important thing that I do. And my hope and my prayer is that it would become, if it isn't already, the most important thing that you do. And I wanted to start this morning by just confessing something to you so that I might be able to preach with a clear conscience. I wrote this message back in January with the anticipation of giving it in February when I preached in February. And I was running it by one of the guys on staff who was mentoring me and training me in preaching. His name is Robin Wood, our church planning pastor. And as I was running it by him, I was so excited because I just felt like this was a word from the Lord. And it was centralized around the word lingering. The question was, where are you lingering? Are you lingering in the presence of God? And Robin looked at me and he said, that is terrible. Don't do that. Like, just don't engage with that. And so I didn't. I was, I was kind of shocked. It was jarring. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I put it in the archives, and I had kind of forgotten about the, tech, about the text that I was going to be going over. And this is no exaggeration. I preached in February, just a few weeks after I preached my message that was supposed to be on lingering, uh, revival broke out in Wilmore, Kentucky, on campus at Asbury. And we had students that came up from Wilmore to talk about their experience, and if you follow that story at all, you will see the word linger highlighted throughout their experience. We just lingered in Hughes Auditorium. We lingered in the presence of God. We just couldn't escape the presence of God. And I texted Robin when I heard all this and it broke out. I said, you give the worst advice. And, and my confession to you all now is that I will never listen to Robin Wood ever again. Okay? And I told him that, I, and he, uh, he understands. He understands. So that will not be a shock to him. And so now that I can preach with a clear conscience, I want to invite everyone to stand as you are able. Through this series of Disciple, we have been reciting a creed that has been passed down for generations within the church, and I want to recite that with you this morning. It's the Apostles' Creed, and here it goes. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, before we go too much further, as you remain seated or standing, I, I, standing, I want to recite with you something that Pastor Greg told me this past week, is that the people of God are inclined to follow God. People really want to follow Jesus. And so with that freshly in our minds, I want to read with you our text for this morning, which is found in Exodus chapter 33, 1 through 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, 
and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Yeah, you parents are laughing in, in the room because you have been there before. You've been on a car ride with your children. And you think, if I go any further, I'm going to strangle you. And so I hope that you're encouraged because the Lord felt the same way about his children. But may the Lord inspire us and encourage us through the hearing and receiving of his word. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, like I mentioned uh, earlier this morning, I have been wrestling and engaging with this text since the beginning of the year, and and I just felt like the Lord has been challenging me and asking the question that I'm going to pose to us this morning, but it is simply this, what do you desire? What is it that you desire? And as you begin to think about that and unpack that, uh, you may be thinking, well, Christopher, what is it that you want us to get to? Well, I really don't want you to be anywhere other than the truth. What is it that you desire in your life? Maybe another way of putting it is why wouldn't I desire God? Because of course, that's the Sunday school answer. You should be saying, Jesus, I desire God. I desire a relationship with him. But maybe why wasn't that your initial thought? Well, let me tell you some things that I've been thinking about why it wouldn't be your first thought. A relationship with God is disruptive. A relationship with God will cost you something. It takes courage to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the Apostle Paul goes out to say that if you follow Jesus, it could cost you your life. And it should cost you your life. The things that you desire might change because you follow Jesus, because you you put your faith and trust in him. Another way that I can think about this, the best way, in my opinion, to figure out what it is that you desire is to look at what you do. What you do determines what you want. The way that you spend your money, the way that you spend your time, your energy will be reflective of what it is that you desire. If someone was to follow you this past week or maybe the week to come and just was to write down what they believed you desired based on how you lived your life, what would they conclude? What would be the most centralized thing in your life? I don't know the answer for you, but you do. And I want to encourage you to engage with that and to wrestle with that. Moses, he had to work this out. He knew that in order for the presence of God to be with them, things needed to change in their community. God was saying, hey, listen, if I go with you even another step, I might destroy you because you don't listen to me. Your heart is not for me. It's for other things. And Moses was understanding that he didn't want, he did not want to receive the blessing of God without the presence of God. And that's encouraging to me and challenging and convicting to me is how often do I pray to receive the blessing of God? God, would you just give me your peace? God, would you give me your provision? God, would you help in this relational tension that I feel? between a friend of mine and myself? How often do I ask for the blessings of God without the presence of God? I want to pick this story back up in verse 15. It says this, Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? 
what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And I love that Moses wasn't satisfied yet. In verse 18, he says, now show me your glory. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and communicate something just in confidence with you guys that many theologians wrestle often about, but I will just say that all of us here in this room are experiencing the blessing of God. Just to be able to breathe, just to be able to walk in here without the weight of the Lord crushing us is a blessing from God. And so Moses was communicating, listen, what is going to distinguish me and my people from everyone else in the world if we don't have your presence? And Moses understood that we desperately need the presence of God in our life because it is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. All of us are blessed by God, but it's the blessing of God that distinguishes us from communities of other people. And so what do you desire? What is it that you really desire? I hope that you wrestle this out this week between you and the Lord. My second thought and idea is this, that God is accessible to anyone. God really wants to be seen by you. God wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to speak to you. He has things that he wants you to hear. He has a way in which he wants you to live your life. God wants to be seen by you. My hope is that as we hear this message, if you're in the room, there are some people, maybe many people behind you generationally. There's somebody younger looking over your shoulder as to how you live your life. And my encouragement is that you would invest your time and energy and effort into paving the way for the next generation, to make it easier for them to connect with God, to make it easier for them to engage with the Father, to illustrate what it looks like to pray, to illustrate what it looks like to lead a good life and a good marriage and a good relationship. There are people that are looking to you I love what Pastor Greg said a couple of weeks ago. As we are planting churches, would you be okay with the church if it was just replicated in another place? Would you be okay with that? Are you comfortable with that? For them modeling the ways in which you're living your life, how we're leading this church in another city. When I was in kindergarten, I started this program at my local church called AWANA, which just stands for Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed. And it's all about rightly dividing the word of truth by hiding God's word in our heart. And my father was the president, the commander of this organization at my church, and we had some skin in the game as a family. And there was a lot of pride that we took in participating in this program. And so every week, every day, my mother would make sure that we were going through this program. Every morning when I woke up to get ready for school, I would get ready, I would go out to the, the dinner table, and I would have breakfast. And I'd be eating my breakfast, and my mother would sit across the table from me, and she would say, okay, are you ready to work on your memory verses? And I would say, Mom, it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm just trying to get ready for school. I'm just trying to eat. No, I'm not ready. She said, well, it's too bad. We're going to do it anyway. What is John 14, 6? I'm like, Mom, I don't know. She said, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You know what it is. No, Mom, I don't. For Jesus said, oh, goodness. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes through the Father except through me. I mean, you can picture this, right? As a middle school boy, just dragging my feet as to why are we doing this. Great job. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 wasn't saying, Mom, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. 
Yeah, for it is by grace. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And that went on day after day after day from literally before I started kindergarten all the way through graduation of high school. And I was reflecting with my mother this past week and just asked her, hey, mom, I'm giving this message on spending time with God, and one of my points is about being in the word of God. How many verses do you think that we memorized together going through this program, Awana? And she got out, she still has my workbooks, and she went through them. And she said somewhere between 700 and 750, kindergarten through high school graduation. And listen, I didn't want to do it. If you were to ask me, Christopher, do you want to memorize the word of God as a kindergartner all the way up through high school? No, there's no shot I wanted to do that. And my hope and my encouragement to you is to model it in your family, to make it generational. Listen, because there are a lot of things that I didn't want to do that my parents made me do, and I've talked to a lot of parents that they're like, well, I can't force my kid to come to church because then they'll just resent it. Listen, my parents forced me to go to church. I don't think I ever wanted to go to church, and now I'm in ministry (laughs) because I really believe that God has a calling on my life. And you know what happened because of this habit that was made manifest in my life at a really young age? I don't go anywhere without an index of cards. And you know what? They're all written with scripture on them. And when I'm waiting for a a meeting and I get there a little early and I'm just sitting down and I get convicted by the Holy Spirit, don't spend time scrolling through social media. Oh, yeah, you're right. And so I get out these note cards and I go through them and I memorize the word of God. And why do I do that? Well, I do that because it was a habit instilled in in myself at a very young age because of my parents, but also what does the word of God say? In Psalm 119.11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. (laughs) So memorize the word of God and model that. Encourage other people to do it because it will change the way that you live your life. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll, I'll talk about the word here later, but do it. Just do it, okay? And maybe you're here in the room and you're thinking, well, Christopher, I'm just in middle school. I'm in high school. I don't have anybody who's following me. I don't have anybody behind me whom I'm leading. I don't have any kids. I'm not married. I'm not in a relationship. Well, Moses decided to invest his time and energy into a young man by the name of Joshua, son of Nun, who didn't have any relational ties to Moses, and he invested his life. Joshua then became the person to lead the Israelites into the promised land because Moses wasn't qualified to do it. And so I want to pick up the text here in verse 7. And here's what it says. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and put it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, and here is where the word lingering came. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, lingered in the tent. He didn't leave the tent. And I just envision Joshua not really wanting to do that, 
but he couldn't help himself as he was dragged out into the tent of meeting by Moses. And once he experienced God, he couldn't get enough. He couldn't get enough of it. He couldn't get enough of the presence of God that he lingered in the tent. And that encourages me as I see the way in which it's modeled between Moses and Joshua and the Lord. God is talking to Moses as a friend talks with a friend face to face. He's having this experience with God. He can picture God. We see later in Exodus 33 that God literally reveals his glory to Moses in such a profound way. You should read it. It's so powerful. But this section of scripture also hurts me. It brings me pain because it says in the text that anyone who wanted to inquire with the Lord could go to the tent of meeting. And as I've read and as I've studied this text, no one else other than Moses, Joshua, and the Levites, the priest of the day, ever went into the tent of meeting, so we think. Anyone could experience God, but nobody did. Except what they did do is what they thought was good enough is that as they saw Moses walk into the tent of meeting, you know what they did? Is they got out to the threshold of their tent and they began to worship the encounter that Moses was having with God. They missed the point that the thing that they were worshiping could have been accessible to them. They could have for themselves an experience with God if they just went to the tent of meeting. And I think that we do this too, that we're always excited about somebody else's relationship, whether it be a pastor, a teacher, a friend, a mentor. We're excited about their relationship. Tell me more about what God is doing in your life. But we're not creating space. We're not wrestling this out. We're not being inconvenienced by God to do it within our own spirit. And so my last and final ideas are how do we do this practically? How do we do this practically? Like I mentioned, it's difficult. It takes time. But I think that here, especially in America and probably across the world, we are so addicted to noise. We are addicted to stimulation that we often cannot just get alone and be quiet. We get into the car, the radio turns on. We're going for a walk. We put headphones in. We are so addicted to noise. And God, he will show up, as I've seen him doing in my own life, as I try to numb the silence. But very rarely will he show up if you are not still. The word of God says, be still and know that I am God. And loneliness, I read this this past week, loneliness is the inability to spend time with God. And loneliness is running rampant through our country, through the culture. You talk to young people, you talk to, if you were to evaluate your own life, I just feel lonely. I don't feel like anybody cares about me. Nobody's listening to me. I'm anxious. I'm struggling with depression. It is running rampant in our culture and in our country. And I really do believe that it is because we cannot be okay with the silence. We're not okay with the silence. God wants to speak to you. I'm using this illustration today. I don't know if it's a good one yet, but I was thinking about this, and I just think in our culture, we're just so stirred up. There's constant noise and pressure happening all the time. 
and it just gets shaken up all the time, and we struggle with being able to see things clearly. And if you see this jug full of sand and water, if you begin to stir it up, it it becomes really cloudy. But the sand begins to dissipate, and the water becomes more clear as the sand begins to settle at the bottom of the jug. And when does the sand begin to settle? It's when it becomes still, when we're not jostling it back and forth. When we just be still before the presence of God, things become more clear. And Moses understood this. That's why he put the tent outside of the city, outside of the boundary, outside of the community of Israel, some distance away, the text says, because Moses believed and understood, I don't think God is going to show up consistently if I'm not still, if I'm not being quiet, if I'm not out in silence and solitude. And that is scary because when we're alone, when we're in isolation, things begin to well up. We begin to hear things that we are not comfortable with. And Jesus is saying, that is exactly where I want to do my work. That is where I want you to be. And so how do we do this practically? Well, the first way is that we, we just become still and we create space for it. And we do it in three ways practically. We see this in the disciple book. Our friend Eric Fish has written about this. And so you should pick it up and, and go through it. But the first one is through the word. Memorize the word of God. Spend time reading it. If you want to hear a great message on the word, listen to last week's message. Pastor Greg gave a fantastic message all about the word of God. Listen to it. At the end of his message, he practically said, pick this book up and read it five minutes a day, and it will change your life. It will change your life. Pick it up. Engage with it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm not feeling spending time with the Lord, I just hear the enemy saying, you're only going to give five minutes to that? And so then I just fold. I don't do it at all. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do is just to distract us, to make us feel terrible about only spending five minutes a day. But listen, five minutes a day will add up and it will become exciting. You can't put this book down. The Lord will change your life through this word. And why does he do it? Because the the word of God, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.12 that it is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it, it penetrates to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, so that it can evaluate the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so there's something about this word, and I know what it is. It's because it's actually God breathed. This was the inspired word of God. It is the inspired word of God. And so it's doing something. It's stirring inside of us as we begin to open up the page. And my prayer is that as you begin to read it, as you begin to think about it, as you begin to meditate on it, that things begin to jump up out of the page and it becomes sweet. Jeremiah 15, 16 says that it becomes sweeter than honey. It tastes really good when we meditate and think deeply on the word. The last point that I'll say about the word of God is that when Jesus was tempted right before he went into his public ministry, we read about this in Matthew 4, And he's being tempted by Satan. And and Jesus doesn't just say, Satan, get behind me. No, Satan, I don't want to participate in that temptation. No, you, you don't have any power over me. No, every time that Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus combated it with the word of God. 
In Matthew 4, 4, we read that man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so meditate on it. Memorize it. And then as you begin to give advice to children and grandchildren and friends and coworkers, you begin to live and breathe the word of God, and you begin to speak and prophesy over them through the word of God. And your words do not become your own words. They become the word of God. And it has power. I've given people pretty good advice, I thought. And then I started just giving them advice that I found in Scripture that is really helpful. Oh, you're struggling with anxiety? Here's what Philippians 4 talks about. To meditate on the goodness of God. That's what Philippians 4 is all about. And man, that is so good. And that isn't my own advice. That's the Word of God. And it is powerful because it is alive and active. And so memorize the Word. Understand the Word. Get to know the Word. It will change your life. The second way is through worship. We do that. You guys are here. Good job. You're participating in, in the second step of all this. But being here is a great, great way to encounter and be with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. We do this through worship. But I want to challenge you to take worship a step further. And worship is placing God where he rightly deserves to be, on his throne, in the center of everything. And so I want to ask you the question, what is on the throne in your life? Is it Jesus Is it his presence? You have to wrestle that out between you and God. Humble yourself. Really evaluate that. Think about that critically. We don't read the book of Revelation often in the church because it's weird, it's uncomfortable, we don't really understand a lot of it. But let me help you with the book of Revelation. I believe that you cannot read the book of Revelation, the last book in our scriptures, without just being in awe of how awesome and holy and good God is. He's so big, and he deserves to be worshiped. And in the 17th chapter, John, the author of Revelation, talks about how people overcome Satan. He identifies two ways. He says they do it by the blood of Jesus, his death and resurrection, but also by the word of each other's testimony. And there's something so powerful when we get together as a community of believers and just start telling And proclaiming the goodness of God. God is so good. Listen to what he did. It's encouraging, man. It gives you a a pep in your step. Today we're going to be participating in, in witnessing water baptism. That is a testimony of the goodness of God in their life. It's a really beautiful manifestation of the goodness of God in their life. And we're going to participate together in that. The third and final way is through prayer. And my encouragement as you think about prayer is to pray as you can, not as you can't. And so just to do it. You don't know where to start. Open up the Gospels. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray because they didn't know how either. And he says, when you pray, you pray like this. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. We're all familiar with it. It's so beautiful. It's so good. And so pray as you can, not as you can't. As I've been spending more and more time with Pastor Greg, one of the things that came up was if he could do things differently over the longevity of his 43-year career, what would he do differently? And the thing that he told me without hesitation, he didn't even stutter when he said it. It came out so clear because I know that he's been thinking about it. He said, I would pray more often. I would pray more. And if you know anything about Pastor Greg, I mean, he started our service, our worship gathering today, praying for our brothers and sisters in Israel. And he identified, I would pray more. 
If you know anything about the history of Union Chapel, we would literally here on campus have 24-hour prayer vigils where men and women would pray without ceasing around the clock. And Pastor Greg just so humbly said, I would spend more time in prayer. It's convicted me. I've prayed a lot more since I've heard that. (laughs) Billy Graham put it this way. He was asked in an interview, Billy, if you had three years to live, how would you live your life? He said, "It's, it's very easy. I would go home, I would lock the door, and I would study and read the word of God, and I would pray for two and a half years. And the last six months of my life, I would preach. Prayer is so important. Hearing from God, I think, is the most important thing that you could ever do and make time for. And as I've been preparing for this message, and just a few weeks ago I was praying over this message, and I asked God often, God, is there anything that I should add, things that I should take out, inspire me? And I was on a prayer walk with the Lord, and and God just so gently said, Christopher, if you do not create space in the service for people to hear from me, you've missed the point. And so I want to do that together. I want to invite you, and it'll be uncomfortable, it'll be a little weird, but just embrace it. We're going to sit here in silence and engage with the Lord because God is present here and God wants to be with you. And maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you're not even a believer yet. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's okay. We just learned that the the blessing of God is on all of us. So God is just a breath away to, to reach out to him. But if you need direction, maybe you're a seasoned veteran and you don't need any direction, maybe you're new to all this, I just want to give five helpful questions as you begin to engage with the Lord. They'll be up on the screen. And don't meditate on all of them. We won't have enough time. But as one sticks out to you, think about that. Think about that. I'm going to read them, and then we'll spend some time with the Lord. God, what do you like? God, what do you want to say to me? God, what do I desire? God, what do you want me to do? And lastly, God, who do you say that I am? So I'll keep the time, and I'll bring us back in prayer, but let's just spend some moments hearing from Jesus.
God, we confess that these moments that we just offered up to you are not nearly enough. And Lord, I pray that this would become a regular rhythm in our life. That we would create space. That we would get away with you. That we would hear your voice. God, I know because you've told me that you so desperately want your people people here at Union Chapel to hear from you. Just like Moses, one glimpse, it changed everything. And Lord, we hunger for you. We thirst for you. And so God, I just pray that you would teach us. Teach us to be led by you. Be our good shepherd. Allow us to to lie down in your green pastures to restore our souls because that's the only thing that can. Jesus, help us become more aware of your presence in our life. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Like I mentioned, we are going to be participating and watching as people receive water baptism. And it's such a beautiful demonstration and illustration of the grace of God in our lives. And so if you're a candidate who's going to be getting baptized, I want you to make your way up front, and then I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Glenn.